Would you please join me as I pray? Our Father, right now, would you be pleased to pour out your Holy Spirit in a fresh way on us, that we as men and women would be ready and able to receive the weight, the beauty, and the goodness of this gospel. As we meditate on the resurrection of Jesus, I pray that you would empower us together to be able to believe it. Would you open the eyes of our hearts, expand our capacity to receive your goodness. You are welcomed in this place. We thank you in advance for what you tend to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is my privilege, and in fact, it's, it's, it's my job which I've been pinching myself that this is my job, that I, like, it is my job today to stand here and to look at you and to tell you that all the riches of heaven, all of God's kindness and goodness, his blessings and his benefits, the blessings and the benefits of an endlessly creative and good God are open to you in Jesus. He hasn't held back one bit. Every shred of blessing and goodness has been opened up to you in Jesus. That's what we get to explore and celebrate together this morning. And we know the, the beauty, the, the excitement of being welcomed in somewhere, par- partially because we also know the sadness and the sting of being kept out. You know those moments where the door is closed and you wonder what's going on in there, what, what you don't have access to, what you wished you had access to? I was recalling this week being a sophomore in college. I was in love with, I know, I was in love with a woman named Ashley Chamberlain, hint. She's the mother of my four children. So the story pans out well, but at the time it wasn't going so well. Uh, she had told me no a few times. I was persistent and she was pretty settled. And uh, we were hanging out with a group one night, and I heard that she was going on a date with Kyle. Kyle! Uh, We were all hanging out, and the group was walking back across the courtyard, and she and Kyle, sure enough, they paired off, and they walked across the courtyard, and they went over into his dorm over there, and I saw the door close. And it's that, like, awful, sinking feeling when you're like, I'm closed out. The door is closed, what I long for, what I hope for, the, this connection I was, I was hoping for. Like, I don't know what's happening there, but I'm not invited in. You, you know that feeling? We, we've all felt it in different ways. It might be someone that you had hoped would pay attention, would, would show some interest in you. It might be that, that kind of leadership team at work that you keep thinking you should be invited into, but you haven't, or the group of friends that have drawn the lines in such a way that you're on the outside looking in. We all have have tasted that experience of feeling like there's some inner circle, there's some connection, there's something happening over there that we don't get to fully experience. And as we study the book of Hebrews together, we're just continuing right on in our study of Hebrews into chapter 9 today, and I believe it's a really pointed and appropriate Easter text for us this morning because what it is is it's an exploration of the ways that human effort and religion get us up to a closed door and no further. But 
The way of Easter, the way of Jesus and the resurrected king opens up all of God's riches to his people. And so with our time, what we're gonna do is we're gonna explore the human effort in religion that, that leaves us on the outside looking in and then we're gonna celebrate together that Jesus has something better for us. In order to do that and, and to kind of balance our time, I just wanna do a little bit of storytelling from the first half of Hebrews 9. Rather than reading it verse by verse, let me tell you what is being set up in this chapter. It's a little bit of a, of a history lesson for a people that are very aware of their own history. The Hebrews would have understood this deeply, but in verses one through 10 of chapter nine of Hebrews, the author is explaining the way that the Jewish people have been connecting to God, straining to connect with him for the last 1400 years. And he's telling the story in terms of what happens in the tabernacle or the temple. It was the tent and then the building that the people believed and that they, they leaned in to meet with the presence of God there. And the, the story that he tells is there, there were two primary rooms in the tabernacle or the temple. The first was called the holy place. The holy place was a long rectangular room that priests went into every day. And they would light candles and every week they would bring the bread of the presence. In a sense, they were tending to the house of God and they would, they would make regular sacrifices for the sins of, of people that had had kind of ruptures or brokenness in their relationship with one another or with God. And they would do that daily. And then there was another room. As you move from, from east to west, further into the presence of God, that just beyond the temple shroud, there was a big curtain and on the other side of the curtain was a room and it was a cube, it was a perfect cube, the same height, depth, length, it was, it was a perfect cube and in it, the high priest was able to go once a year and meet with God. They would go in with a certain amount of kind of quaking and anticipation. They get to go through the curtain and inside the curtain there was a little golden box and the golden box is known as the Ark of the Covenant and in the box was the Ten Commandments and on top of it was a seat that was called the Mercy Seat and there were two angels that overshadowed golden cherubim that overshadowed the Mercy Seat and the high priest would come with the blood of a spotless lamb and he would spread the blood over the Mercy Seat and the presence of God would descend and meet with him. The presence of God could come and meet with him because the law that was in the box was covered over by the sacrifice of a lamb so that even though the people had broken the law, God saw the broken law through the blood of the lamb and he said, because the sacrifice has been made, I can come and meet with you. Once a year, the high priest got to taste the presence of God inside the curtain. But this human effort religion that was worked year after year after year, it had four very distinct outcomes that in Hebrews 9 our author is tracing for us. One is that the people felt like the work was never done. They were repeated sacrifices over and over and over. More has to be done. Yes, we made the sacrifice last year, but it needs to be made again. We need the priest to go represent us. There's always more to do. And the reason the text tells us is because all of the blood of all of those lambs for 1,400 years they couldn't purify the conscience. Everyone had a guilty conscience. They were saying, yes, we know that the priest gets to go be with God, but I don't get to go be with God, and I know what's inside of me, and I don't feel like any sacrifices cleanse what I'm carrying around. And so there was this sense of the work is never done, and I've got a guilty conscience. And the third outcome was all of the blessings for that reason feel like they're fleeting. They don't last. 
They last until the noonday sun grows hot and then they evaporate because how do I appropriate the blessings of God when I'm guilty? Which leads us to the fourth outcome that he says, and it's this. For that reason, the way to God is not open, it's closed. The curtain is hanging and everyone knows God's on the other side and I don't have access. Now, that may be an interesting history lesson, but it may leave you in this place of going, well, (laughs) I wasn't practicing elaborate ritual sacrifices this week or this year. I don't know, maybe anybody? Show of hands? No, nobody was doing that this week. That's not the means by which we're trying to make ourselves accessible or kind of present ourselves appropriately before God. But we are a people addicted to human effort, to proving ourselves. We do it in a whole host of other ways, but we are always engaging, if we're honest, it's kind of muscle memory. We run back to it thinking, if I can prove to myself and to the people around me and to God, if I believe in him, that I'm okay, then maybe I really will be okay. We all engage in our own ways in these kind of human effort, striving to be okay. And what I want you to hear today is if if you came in and you feel this in some way, maybe a friend invited you, maybe you've been coming for a little while and you go, you know what? Those four things sound familiar. I always feel like there's more work to be done. I feel guilty. The blessings of God feel slippery. Like maybe they were there for a minute, but I didn't do things well yesterday and now they're gone. And as a result, God just feels kind of distant. Like he's on the other side of the door. If that's you, it is my job today to announce really good news. That the way has been opened beautifully and powerfully and permanently in Jesus. And in the balance of our time, I want to explore the blessings that come from the open door that Jesus has, by his own resurrection, accomplished. There are four blessings that flow out of this text, and they're going to spell the word open for us. O-P-E-N, he has opened the way. These are the four riches that flow from Hebrews 9 because of Jesus' resurrection. Are you with me? We good? Yeah? Oh. The sacrifice of Jesus, this text is going to tell us, is once and for all. It's once and for all. My father-in-law's here. Thanks for making the trip, Howard. What Howard knows, he, he's like this amazing handyman. His son-in-law is not. And, uh, and I've, I've struggled along the years. There's t- things where I want to be. I have fixed our kitchen sink like four times. I fixed it repeatedly because it gets loose and all of a sudden it dangles and hangs and I'll crawl up under there and I pull out my tools like I know what I'm doing with them and I work on it and all of a sudden I'm like, there it is. It's finally fixed and I'll get out and it's sturdy. And like three days later, it's, it's like this. Because the truth is, I'm not a perfect handyman. I'm not even a good handyman. But perfection does not require multiple attempts. The reason that it's very evident that I'm not a good Mr. Fix-It is because I have to keep doing it over and over and over again. But the perfection of Jesus is displayed in this. It requires no secondary attempts. It was once 
and for all. That phrase gets repeated a couple of times in this text. Look at verse 12 and verse 26 with me and listen to that phrase repeated. It says, he, being Jesus, entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. And then again in verse 26, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you hear it? He's saying in the, in the temple, there's been this dramatic display. It's almost like a, an, a play act, a drama that has been happening year after year so that the people can understand how God relates with his people. And he says, every year the priest has gone in and he's done it over and over and over. But then Jesus comes as the great high priest and he did it once and for all. In verse 12, he is the priest that is accomplishing it once. In verse 26, the great surprise is that he's not just the priest, he's also the lamb whose blood is being spread over the mercy seat. He is the priest and he is the lamb and he has done it once and for all. No secondary required activity. This is why when Jesus was bleeding and dying on the cross, he called out with a loud voice, mustering all of his energy and pushing up and pulling down on the nails that had secured him there to cry out these words, it is finished. 1,400 years, lamb after lamb after lamb, but as John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and as he was bleeding and dying and completing the work, something happened in the temple. The veil was ripped from top to bottom. The cube that had contained the presence of God was opened to the people of God because once and for all, Jesus did what we with all of our effort could never do. Oh, once and for all. P, he perfects our conscience. What all of our human effort could not do, he was able to do in purifying our conscience. There's actually some research that has come out of Princeton recently about psychological experiences that register in your body, that you carry psychological experiences physiologically. And this research has been exploring the, the experience of guilt. And you know there's this phrase that like guilt weighs you down. And the interesting thing is that they have proven in this research that guilt does in fact have a weight. It actually, it feels like it's something that is carried by people. And the research showed that people that were struggling with guilt from a past experience were less likely to engage in an opportunity to serve in the present. Because it felt so heavy and they kind of had slowly become bound up in their own past and story that it became less likely that they would see and consider the needs of others and meet them. It's interesting that in this text, a people that have been laboring to be free and are, are not able to perfect the conscience, when Jesus shows up, he frees them in the purity of their conscience. In fact, he frees them to serve. Look at the way he says it in verse 14. It says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. <laughs> what he's saying is this, when the truth of what Jesus has accomplished dawns on your soul, 
you don't carry the weight in the same way that you did previously. And now you may have heard this news before. There's something that's really interesting that happened. You can hear time and again, Jesus died for your sins. You can hear it. You might have heard it from a friend or a parent. You might have heard it here before. But there's something that happens in a moment or in a season where the Holy Spirit takes those words and he lights them on fire. And all of a sudden you go, ah, it's true. It's true. God took on flesh and he paid the price for all of human sin and he, in a way that is undeniable historically, conquered the grave, coming back to life. And when it begins to dawn on a soul, when the Holy Spirit takes it and applies it to our heart, the truth is that if an accusation comes against us, if the old is brought back, we don't say, no, 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 that's not true. When someone says, I know what you did. I see what happened in the secret. I, I see, I know. In that moment, we don't say it's not true. We go, it is true. I did those things. And they've been paid for. And I never have to carry them again. What Jesus accomplished was once and for all, so that you never have to carry the weight of your guilt ever again. Friends, you're free to go. <laughs> you're free to serve the living God, not weighed down by the guilt of your past. It doesn't define you. Once and for all, that gives birth to a purified conscience. And for that reason, the blessings are eternal. Eternal blessings, not fleeting ones, eternal blessings. We do a lot of work here with the foster care system. We, an organization partners with us and offices here. We do, we've partnered with the court systems in the past. I've walked with some families that have fostered and adopted children that were in the foster care system for an extended period. You know, kids that have been in one home after another that are finally welcomed into a home with a, a family that's going to become their forever home. And one of the things in walking with people through this that I have seen, heard, that is both beautiful and painful is that a child that has been passed from home to home that finally steps in and they're welcomed in, it takes time to believe that the hospitality and the warmth and the love that you're showing me aren't just going to be gone tomorrow. And a child will experience all sorts of churn wrestling with, can I really trust the love in this place? Quite frankly, I think so many of us receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of God poured out through his son into our hearts. We receive it like orphaned children going, could it really be true? Is it still gonna be there again tomorrow? And what he says in this text is that all of the blessings of God, it's not like they come in when you're doing everything right and as soon as you falter, he pulls back. It's not like sometimes you're safe and other times you're exposed. What he's saying is my blessings are going to flood in and they will reshape your identity never to leave again. Hear the way he uses the term eternal twice over about the blessings that are unlocked in Jesus. Hear it in verse 12 and verse 15. It says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Redemption means the purchasing. Jesus said, I've bought you and now you're mine and by the way, that's eternal. It's not going anywhere. 
But then he presses it a step further in verse 15 saying this, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Do you hear it? The redemption is eternal. You've been purchased and you're mine. The inheritance is eternal. All of my riches will be yours forever. If you're new to this, I'm so glad you're here. This is where our imagination begins to falter at the edges and I need you to hear, if you'd even be willing to risk it, to ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear this good news. What God has accomplished in Jesus, he is willing to pour out on you in a way that will never leave you. And even on the days where you falter and you wanna run, the Father will hold you close and go, no, 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 just wait. Test me, try me, wait and see if my love won't hold you through the good times and the bad until it starts to settle in in such a way that you can go, ah, these blessings are not temporary. They're eternal. Once and for all, in a way that purifies the conscience and secures eternal blessings, and lastly, brings the very nearness of God. All the blessings that we receive in Jesus, forgiveness of sin and heaven and a community around us, those are all secondary to the blessing of the gospel, which is we get God. God will come and make his home with us. He will be with us. And Jesus says it in this way. He says, I'm going before God on your behalf so that I can come back and bring you with me. Hear it in verse 24 and verse 28. He says this, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. So he's saying like the temple, the way that it's been a play act being played out time and again. He's going, he didn't just come in and participate in the play, but he did the real thing in the heavenly places. He says, but into heaven itself, he now appeared in the presence of God on our behalf. Skipping down to verse 28, he says this, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He stepped into the presence of God and said, all these people that have placed their trust in me, they are with me. And after securing everything once and for all, purifying the conscience, securing eternal blessings, he says he's gonna come and he's gonna bring us with him into the presence of God. Friends, that arrival in the presence of God, it's every taste of something delicious, every sight of something beautiful, anything in this life that has made your heart leap or sing. I want you to imagine it's like a trickle of a little river running through a mountain path. And as you're walking on the mountain path, you find the little trickle. It's like a little taste and you go, oh, that's delightful. That refreshes me. It satisfies my thirst for a moment. And I want you to imagine that you trace that little trickle back up and all of a sudden you find in a clearing a rich, pure, cold mountain spring erupting out of the side of the mountain. And all of a sudden you see it in all of its beauty. It's running down over you. What Jesus is accomplishing in this text, he's saying, you have tasted some blessings and benefits of God, but what I am securing for you is the fountainhead. Come with me. 
Come with me to experience what's happening on the other side of the door. You will find satisfaction for your soul in ways that nothing in this world could ever accomplish. You'll get God. You won't have to stand on the outside of the curtain, on the other side of the door ever again. Human effort could get you close, but it will never deliver you into his presence. Jesus said, through my life, my death, and my resurrection, once and for all, the purification of your conscience, the security of every eternal blessing, God himself opened to you. The last note is this. Jesus has gone to great lengths to open up all the riches of heaven to you. And the question is, what are you going to do in response? The great mystery is that when Jesus shows up in Revelation 3 and verse 20, it says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And we realize that this interaction with God, it's like one of those kind of hotel adjoining rooms, you know, where you can open the door one way and then there's another door. (laughs) He has gone to great lengths to open up all the riches of heaven to you. But now the question is, will you open the door of your heart and welcome him in? saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and to any who will open, I will come in and I will feast with you. We will be companions. We will be friends. You will be home with me forever. It is a joy and a privilege to announce to you news that is true and is oh so good. All of the riches of God are open to you in Jesus. Won't you open the door to him? Let me pray for us. King Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done on our behalf. Would you forgive me for the ways that I retreat to human effort, thinking that I can accomplish what only you can do. I pray that we would be a people that celebrate Easter by delighting in and reveling in all the blessings that you have unlocked for us. That we would be a people of joy and of satisfaction, of fullness because of what you've done. We thank you that you have not withheld any of your riches from us but because of your life and your death and resurrection, we are free to enter in. Would you, even today, pour out your grace, your kindness, your affection, your presence on every man and woman and child present here? We bless you and we thank you. Thank you for what you've done on our behalf. It's in your precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen.